Hey, I'm Kamara Rose, and this is Everyday Changemakers, conversations with social change practitioners about the journey of personal transformation and social transformation. To live while woke is to live conscious and confident in how much God loves you. And by the way, how much God loves them. If we are the beloved created awesomely and wonderfully, and they are the beloved also created awesomely and wonderfully, that guides human interaction. How do you treat somebody when they're created awesomely and wonderfully by God? This relationship that we're called to with each other on behalf of God is like, I will not let you go. I will not let you go. I am my brother's keeper. I am my sister's keeper. This week, I'm meeting with the Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis, Senior Minister at Middle Collegiate Church in New York City, Executive Director of the Middle Project, which prepares ethical leaders for a just society, and host of the television show, Just Faith. Jackie is also a Senior Fellow with Auburn Seminary, an unprecedented cohort of changemakers who bring justice-centered faith into the public square. Jackie's call to spiritual leadership came early. When she was young, around eight and nine, she used to have a recurring dream. And in this dream, I was climbing a mountain around and around and around. And I'd walk through four seasons, summer, beautiful green, verdant, into fall, leaves shining gold red, back to winter and spring, all the way around. I'd get to the top of the mountain, and there was this giant white lion there with this big, deep green eyes. And the lion was speaking to me, and I thought that if I knew what the lion was saying, I would have words that would be healing words. I had this feeling that I was going to have these words that would heal the world. That dream was the beginning of a call that came into even deeper focus for Jackie when Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated. The city of Chicago was on fire, bullets flying. My sister and I are hiding under the bed, and I do know then I'm called into this this thing. I'm called into this space that I'm going to do his work. So those are like little kid feelings that in these 14 years that I've been serving Middle Church, but especially this last five, every single cell in my body screams, yes, 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 this is you, this is now, this is the time. Like a Jackie Lewis-shaped hole in the world where everything you've done before, Kamara, everything you've experienced, all the things, the bad, the good, the learnings, the secular, the sacred, everything is now on the table for you to help this nation. And it just feels like a vortex, stepping through a a glass, stepping into a field that is just magic, filled with power and filled with leaders who are extraordinary people, all saying, oh no, we are not gonna have this hot mess of injustice on our watch. And to just feel a part of that, feels like heaven, heaven on earth. It's fascinating that dream you had at eight and nine. It sounds to me almost like a shaman or, you know, some (laughs) like having a very deep intuitive sense. 
Yeah. Were there other things for you when you were a kid where you had like a sight or? Yeah, like a premonition. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think that's very insightful on your part. I feel like there is more than one scene. And I'm pretty sure that that's true for all of us. So one scene is this recurring dream. Another scene in this calling is being just about eight. So these are very close together. And it's the first time I'm a Presbyterian. And so your parents vouch for your ability to take communion. So my mom sings in the choir. My dad is an elder. And it's communion Sunday. And it's my first time. And I think like every kid, I was fascinated with little things, like little cups and little cubes of bread. So I'm, this is like, oh my God, I'm so excited. <laughs> Here comes the tray of bread. And my mom leans over and whispers in my ear, you know, this bread means God will always love you. So you eat this bread, this Hawaiian sweet, sticky bread. And I'm just like, oh, my mouth is all on fire with delicious and God loves me. And then the cup comes, and I take one of the little cups, and I drink it. And she says, and this means God will never leave you. So we're not doing broken bodies. We're not doing blood and crucifixion. She's just preaching a little kid sermon. God will always love you, and God will never leave you. I was hooked. You know, I just was hooked. I taught Sunday school when I was a little kid to other kids and served as an elder in my church when I was 16. I just was hooked. I was in love with God and felt like God was in love with me and felt clear that I was going to somehow be working for God, if you will. Wow. It's like that faith came to you so strongly. Because I know for me, it's been, I've had times where I felt that very strongly and then other times where it slips away. But for you, in taking that communion, do you feel like it stayed forever? No. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not. No. But almost like these scenes, these glimmers, writers might say, or just these faith experiences that anchor you, remind you what it feels like. And that you have them in your memory, in your spiritual memory. You can conjure them again in your holy imagination. But no, absolutely not. Uh, When I was about 22 years old, I had a really terrible car accident where my car flipped over on the sunroof in the QEW and like spun around in the middle of the highway. It was insane. And I thought, okay, on the one hand, God, you know, I'm still alive. Thank you. But on the other hand, what? Why did you let that happen? You know, my 22-year-old self wasn't theologically sophisticated to just think, well, God's not in charge of everything. Scene-stealing moment right now. You know, God is, I was like, how could you let that happen to me? I've been so good. What is wrong with you, God? You know, I had a real crisis of faith around that. And other times in my life where I felt, you know, far away from God, But at this age, I think those times I felt far away was about me, not about God not being there, but just me, distracted, busy, mad, whatever all, are the things that make us pull back from any relationship. But in this case, I feel like the holy other is always ready to receive us again when we turn back around. Oh, there you are. I love that you said that now you feel like that dream you had when you were a child was calling you Mm -hmm. to this place and you're on the path 
and everything's accumulating. Yes. But you don't quite see how it's pulling together. Right. And now you're in this experience of stepping into it, like you said, like the field. It makes me think of the Rumi quote, something like yeah. be in the field beyond right and wrong doing. That's a, like that's there, right. I'll, I'll meet you there. Yeah. So do you feel like there were certain, it could be spiritual practices or tools or other areas of your own journey or development that moved you mm -hmm. into that place, moved you to where you feel like I'm stepping into what I saw so many years ago. I think the most important spiritual practice for that for me has been my life as a preacher. You know, I went to seminary when I was 30 and graduated when I was 32 from Princeton. And the practice of writing a sermon, the practice of privilege of time to exegete a text, to read, 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 to live with scripture, to be in conversation with these ancient words, to do Hebrew and Greek, to read the other thoughts, to put together an opportunity for other people to come along the ride with you. It is the most amazing gift to me to be a pastor who gets to preach. And it is a spiritual discipline to read to write, to think, to play with those words, to create a container for other people to have this experience with the holy. So that is my, my greatest spiritual practice. And I think the years of that, that's now lots of years, almost three decades of preaching, has etched something in my soul. Anne Ulanov calls prayer primary speech. I think the prayerful study and preparation for preaching puts one in this incredible conversation with God on a regular basis. That you begin to have a different vocabulary, right? That you begin to have a different way of looking at the world that really stretches you and really provokes in you both a sophistication and an innocence. Vulnerable and risk-taking jumping off a cliff every Sunday to dare to say, thus saith the Lord, blows my mind away. I love the way you talked about working with a text mm -hmm. and the way that it can really become embedded. Yes. Well, it's just like any time you, you work with it to that extent and you start to really know it, and then when you go out into the world, it comes to you, yes. the, the specific fragments or right. whatever it is, it'll ping in your That's ear. Right. Right. That's right. That's right. That's um, well said. You know, as a pastor, shepherding it through you yep, to and the then others. out. Mm -hmm. I wonder if there's a scripture or text that you've had a really powerful experience that you might want to share in your, your work with it, your preaching of it, and then right. how it might have come back into your life. Yeah, that's a great question. When I was um, just about ready to go to seminary and working at Eastman Kodak Company out on the West Coast selling copiers to Apple and Unisys and big companies, I was really struggling. That was one of those seasons of struggle, feeling like, God, you know, have I lost you? Have you lost me? Are you serious about this call? You know. And so Psalm 139, this friend said, you know, read Psalm 139. And I was like, wow, like, I think I've read this before, but wow. Wow. Nowhere you can go where God isn't. I memorized it. And every time it comes up in the lectionary, I preach it. It's just so much there. If I make my bed in heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. 
If I say I'm going to the far ends of the earth, even there, even there your hand will find me. Darkness is light to you. I can't hide. It's like God is codependent almost, you know. <laughs> I'm not going to let you go. So <clears throat> this Psalm 139 is like the comforting psalm of my life. God is not responsible for my everything. I think I, the expression I would have used, I use now is like, I grew up and I let my God grow up. And as I let my God grow up, I didn't have to be angry with God for God failing me. I, I, I didn't have to be angry with myself for failing God. It just changed the relationship. I mean, it just really changed the relationship. And that happened over time. I like this idea of growing up your version of God or your understanding of God. Yeah. This whole idea of like, God's not responsible for me, which is interesting because it's the car accident you talked about. Yeah, where it was right. like, why did you let this, why happen, did you let to this me? happen to me? Yeah. But at the same time, God is always here. I'm always with you. Yep. So maybe you can just share yeah. <laughs> a little bit like what that reconciliation or what you did of yeah. understanding that non-responsibility and what that means, but then always with you and yep. what that means. That's just such a great question. Yeah, I mean, something had to give for me about God. God is all-knowing. Okay, check. God is all-powerful. Okay, check. God is sovereign? Okay, maybe. But does that mean that God is causative of car accidents? Does that mean God will or will not let the physicians heal or heal not your mother of lung cancer? Does that mean that God will or will not let you get that job? It's just too much. So something had to go for me. And so, yeah, God's there. I'm with you always. Absolutely. But doing what? Comforting? Encouraging? Supporting? Supporting role? I think so. I, I cannot abide. God is responsible for the kid that dies trying to get on a boat out of Aleppo. Like, I can't do that. I can't do God allowed a hurricane to wipe out Puerto Rico. I can't do that. There's got to be some theology of understanding human agency and human responsibility in that mix. Then, then I can love that God always, forever. I can lean into that God always, forever. I can pray to that God for insight, guidance, wisdom, get on the same page with God. But God is the genie master of us, and we don't have agency. I just can't, it doesn't work anymore. And when I let it go, it requires more imagination, more holy imagination about where is God in that cosmology then. But it just works better for me. I cannot preach or teach God's nefarious fingers in all of our stuff like and you fell down because God let that happen that's the ridiculousness of it the same thing goes to that storm was because those people were bad and that's 
I can't do it. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it was really liberating to let God be loving, to let God be generous, to let God be all-knowing, to let God be all-powerful, and to let God be also choosing how God will use God's power. So there's a balance, right, really, between the God is fully responsible and the you're fully responsible partnership with God, which is the way my image of God is right now, is as the stronger partner in the relationship, but the partner in the relationship, really inviting me to show up, to feel like I have agency, Choose what you will worship. Choose how you will drag along your debts with you or will you let them go. Point your energy and love and prayer life and activism toward these things. It's your choice. And then I think just the unleashed doo-doo in the universe. Okay, (laughs) There's just some unleashed not niceness in the universe that bumps into us and we bump into it. We cause it. We fuel it. We fan it. And there's also just free radical love in the universe. Beautiful vitamin E or vitamin D love in the universe that I think is also coalescing in these beautiful pockets of resistance. You know, these kids are snatched out of the arms of their parents or these missing children and the whole zeitgeist is rising up with. How are the children? So everybody's thinking about that, you know, from this faith leader to that faith leader to that mom in the kitchen. That's the unleashed love in the universe. All of that, I think, swirls to make our life our life. Hi, everyone. I'm taking a short break here to let you know that this episode is the season finale of Everyday Changemakers. So if this is the first episode you've heard, welcome. I invite you to check out all the other powerful stories and inspiring work of previous guests. And if you've been listening all along, thank you. It has been wonderful to have you on this journey with me. And because I have your attention, I'll also just say, if you've been a fan of the show, please write a review in Apple Podcasts. It means so much to me and it will help other people find the show. Last thing, Stay tuned after this episode to hear the song, Love is an Action, written and performed by Titus Burgess, who you may know from Broadway, or the show Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, where he's been nominated for four consecutive Emmys. Titus wrote Love is an Action in celebration of the Justice Works at Jackie's Church, Middle Collegiate in New York City. So listen at the end of the show. Okay, back to the conversation. Speaking about, coming back to Psalm, is 139, God always is with us. Do you want to talk a little bit about how it informs your leadership today at Middle Collegiate with the Middle Project? How is that theology expressing itself mm-hmm. when you're working with people? Yep. Excellent. A recent sermon was, to live while woke is to live conscious and confident in how much God loves you. And by the way, how much God loves them. So if we are the beloved created awesomely and wonderfully, and they are the beloved also created awesomely and wonderfully, that guides human interaction. Like how do you, how do you treat somebody when they're created awesome and wonderfully by God? 
designed by God. So this is an ethic of care in the beloved community. This is what it means to really love each other, hold each other accountable, pay attention to each other. How do you notice the other? How do you look at the other? How do you be your other's keeper? I told a story Sunday that my friend Shannon put in her book, Shannon Daly Harris, a story about a woman on a bike with another friend and a mountain lion jumped on this woman and bit her, dragging her off into the woods to kill her. And the friend jumps off her bike and throws the bike at the mountain lion and the mountain lion is still dragging. And what does she do? She grabs her friend by the foot and just pulls tug of war with this mountain lion. Screaming, 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 and the lion is not letting go, but she's making so much noise that these other bikers come and throw rocks at the mountain lion, and pretty soon the mountain lion turns tails and runs. Saves a friend's life. I think this relationship that we're called to with each other on behalf of God is like, I will not let you go. I will not let you go. I am my brother's keeper. I am my sister's keeper. And that's the kind of community we're building. Can we be a safe place to try on the best behavior? When we make mistakes, will we be loved? Yes. Are we in a transformational box so God can help us be in recovery from wounds and hurts and scars and be well and healthy? And can we see that we're not saved until everyone's saved? That our job is to create a world where children have computers on their desks and have enough to eat and where seniors don't choose between paying a bill and eating cat food. This is what it means to be a person of faith, a 360 view of a healed and whole world that we help make happen. So I think the psalm anchors us in God's unconditional regard for the other, therefore calling us to our own, feeling, okay, I'm okay, I'm safe in the arms of God, therefore I can, like a kid is safe in their mom's arm or their dad's arm, and therefore they can take a step. They can reach out, explore the world. That's what it is. And we're called to the world. When I was thinking about we're beautifully and wonderfully made, and so are those people. Those people are too. (laughs) Who might well be. And I wonder if you can share an example, it could be from your own life or it could be maybe from life in the congregation, of really practicing that because I think we're so polarized um, today and it's these people Mm -hmm. who have the wrong idea, they do the wrong things, or Mm -hmm. and practicing that they are also loved by a God, they're also beautifully and wonderfully made. made. Is there a moment or a time where you've had to really do that? Sometimes it's really hard. (laughs) (laughs) And it's harder sometimes, to be honest, for me with Christians who are mean or seem mean to people who are outside of a certain kind of frame. You know, like, I'm so clear that the gay people are the devil they'll be sinking and then communicate with such anger and disappointment and judgment about gay folks when I think the gay folks belong to God or pro-gun or pro-life but ready to kill a doctor who does an abortion. It just breaks my heart. And I'm confessing, anyone who's listening, (laughs) it is more difficult sometimes 
to feel like the faith of Jesus the Christ is squished, conflated into judgment, not grace. Closed doors, not open doors. As though some Christians are so sure how God would react to these circumstances today. I think there's fear in that. I understand it, but it is difficult for me as a Christian pastor sometimes to just reconcile that, to be honest. We all live our lives making judgments. Will it be safe to step into the street right now? Should I eat that cut melon, <laughs> given the news? <laughs> you know? So we have to judge to survive. But I also think judgment of the other is often a reflection of something we don't feel good about in ourselves. You know, I'd say, leave the judging to God. What about grace? And that's to me, that's a reminder to me to not be a big old judgment person around the people who are Christian differently than I am. The same Bible, the same book, the same texts lead you to this conclusion. And okay, but what if, what if we interrogate all of this against the test of love? You know, what would love have us do? That's where I'm just trying to lean into my life. Like, what would love have me do? And one has to be ready immediately to go, okay, what do you mean by love? A Muslim friend might say merciful. A Jewish friend might say steadfast, chesed. What would a Buddhist friend say? How would we all together exegete God as love? So push this all the way down to not a concept of love, but love as an action. How does it behave? You can't see your neighbor hungry and not respond. You have to respond. You can't see endangered children and not respond. You have to respond. You can't see a dying planet and not respond. You have to respond. They'll know we are people of faith by our love. They will know we are people of faith by our love. It comes back to that idea you said of being in partnership with God, Mm -hmm. that two-way street and those actions of love that you do in partnership every day. Every day. It's this extension, the partnership with God where you're demonstrating love towards each other, but in this instance, shifting God from... Out there, (laughs) transcending, disembodied. Right, and some... Just you and God in this just a spiritual relationship yeah. and shifting that to the physical, the material. Yeah. Communal. Yeah. The God who is our partner, the God who is love, is not a disembodied concept. The God who is our partner, the God who is love, who spoke through, as a Christian, I'd say Jesus Christ, but who also spoke through the prophet Muhammad, also speaks to the Buddha, speaks to Moses through Moses, is calling on us to move. Like there's stuff to do. Torah teaching, Christian teaching is do this, do these things on my behalf in partnership in a world that is broken and lost and needs love. You feed my sheep. When you've seen me hungry, did you feed me? From Isaiah's 58th chapter, this is the worship I desire, that you feed the hungry and clothe the naked. From Micah's, let justice roll down like waters. I mean, this is not a God who 
just wants you to be happy and spiritually connected to him or her. It's not about personal salvation. It's about a community of people all well, whole, fed, safe. Zechariah 8. Whoever read Zechariah until I heard Jim Forbes preach it when I was young. But this vision of old people in the city streets and young people in the city streets, a sense of a holy city that is restored, so much light in the city, you don't even need street lights. All these visions are people did something with God to make it better for people. Not like Shazam, God, but people did something with God to make it better. I love that on behalf of me. On behalf of me. Yeah. Is it Teresa of Avila who says, God has no heart but our heart, no hands but our hands, no feet but our feet? I was thinking of somebody who's thinking, how might I act on behalf of God? Right. And I wonder if you might want to close then with a prayer mm-hmm. that is invoking in all of us that power within yeah. to act on behalf of the power yeah. of God. That's beautiful opportunity. I think because we've spent some time on Psalm 139 today, I'd like to invite whoever's listening to read it. Like pick a version and read it and then read another version and listen to this text. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. That I know very well. My frame wasn't hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. I try to count them, they're more than the sand. I come to the end, and I am still with you. Wow, that's so beautiful. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, thank you so much. Love that. Thank you. You're welcome. This was lovely. I'm so glad to meet you. Thanks again for listening to Everyday Changemakers. You can find me at kamararose.com. This podcast is a production of Yours Truly in collaboration with markmedia.org. Okay. 
Here's Titus with Love is an Action from Middle Collegiate Church in New York City. There's no limit 
consider